0: This episode is brought to you by the Worth Your Time podcast, where your host, that's me, Erica Anderson, brings you unique and interesting conversations with Christian women working in the intersection of faith, politics, and culture. See you there.
1: Hey, this is a preview of Revive Thought's Deep Dive, The First Crusade, and you're coming into the story midway through. Uh, The actual full episode is available on Patreon, and you can go look up our Patreon to hear the whole thing, but we wanted you to hear a piece of it. This is... It's gonna be a story that really centers on the Siege of Antioch. Some of these characters have already been introduced. Some of this has already been explained and you're coming into this midway, but we think it gives you a really good, interesting insight into what this episode's about. So many crazy things happen in this story. This is just one part of it that shows it. It is truly a movie, how armies and things keep moving around and causing these crusaders trouble. We really wanted you to hear about it. And we wanted to give you a chance to listen to it just like we did with the Salem Witch House. But to hear the full episode, to hear all the things that came before it, to hear how many things went into the beginning of the crusade and and the end of the crusade and the after crusades and all this stuff, you're going to have to become a Patreon subscriber. So if you're not, maybe go do that right now so you don't get spoiled a little bit. But if you're curious, you want to know what this is about, we highly recommend you give this a listen. And we think you're going to probably want to hear the full episode actually
2: yeah just to set up this quick little snippet here the crusaders are marching towards jerusalem and on their way to jerusalem our crusaders are stopping to try to take the city of antioch which is on the way they can take antioch it's just one more building block on their way to retaking jerusalem in this segment here that you're going to listen to it's all about that battle how did the crusaders take the city of antioch
1: and it's not just, this whole episode is not just battles, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but this is this one part you're going to hear is going to be a lot of battle stuff. If you're not super into military history, trust me, there's a lot more than that in this entire story. They reach Antioch after three months, and and almost you don't even have to take Antioch to get to Jerusalem. You could have just marched around it. But, you know, it's a biblical city. It's a big name. It's important. It used to be an important part of the Byzantine Empire, and they feel like they got to take it. Uh, but when they get there, even though these crusaders, you see that they're a lot better than the people's crusaders, a long walk through Turkey in the summer, no food, no water. The Byzantine reinforcements didn't show up, and these guys are not looking quite so tough as they once were and when they get there another problem they didn't foresee which is Antioch is a lot bigger than they expected
2: yeah Antioch was a big fortified city it was strong it had thick walls it was carved into the side of a mountain in the past 200 years it had only fallen twice But the two times that it fell weren't because of the fortifications. It wasn't because the walls fell. Both of the times that it's failed in the past was because of people on the inside. Traitors. Traitors who had opened the gates from the inside and allowed the enemies to pour in. The crusaders were hoping that this might happen to them as well. Another problem was that the governor of Antioch, he saw them Coming Word had gotten to him from Nicaea that the crusaders were a strong, formidable force, and he knew that they would be coming through Antioch, and so since that moment, he had been stockpiling food, soldiers, supplies, getting ready for the long haul, getting ready to bunker in. The population there at Antioch was mostly Christian, and this was A problem for them because now you have a christian army marching on them and again our main flaw our main fear is that we have a traitor inside the city that opens up the gates for them so sadly we see the christians there at antioch being imprisoned we see them being killed we see them being kicked out of the city all of their gathering places are shut down paul's cathedral there in antioch is turned into a stable and so it's another sad instance where we see lots of christians being killed Uh, Just because they are Christians, just because we're not quite sure where their allegiance lies, so we're going to err on the side of hoping, making sure that there's no traitors inside of the city of Antioch. The governor of Antioch also hears of reinforcements coming from Persia, Damascus, and Baghdad. So he's got the, he feels like he's got the advantage here, right? I'm stocked up on supplies, I have fortified walls, I have reinforcements theoretically on their way, let's hunker down.
1: Uh, now it wasn't all rosy. There was a guy named Ridwan of Aleppo, and he's an old enemy of the governor. When the governor was like, "Hey, could you use some help out here?" Um, the, the governor goes, "Yeah, you can just uh, deal with that problem. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna help you at all." So I do. It's not all rosy, but he's still he's in a much better spot than Arslan was in. He's prepared for this force.
2: Yeah. Yeah, when the Crusaders arrive, they had been weakened by their hot journey through the desert. Again, a lot of them were suffering from dehydration. A lot of them were suffering from starvation. So when you come to a city that is fully fortified, it's a little bit of a hit to morale. They actually don't quite have enough men to fully siege the city because it's so big, because it's so well fortified. they don't. They can't quite fully encompass it to create that blockade. So they discuss, they theorized three different ways that we could attack Antioch, right? The first one was a head-on attack. This was something that their generals kind of discussed, talked about. Only one of them was really keen on the idea that was General Raymond with the French army. Another option was to hold off until spring until they could get more reinforcements from Europe to help them. And the last option was to do what we had seen in an earlier battle with the Byzantines, where they close off the, the trading routes, the kind of a larger supply line several miles outside of the city just to cut off communications, to cut off hopefully most of their supplies. And so that third option is what they decided to do. We're going to try to cut down on how well they function as much as possible. So they start scouting out for trading camps, for posts, for towns in the surrounding areas that they can take over and hopefully stop shipments and communications from coming into Antioch. And so we have these stories of. These knights mounting up and taking bridges at, you know, full armor, charging into battle. And this is that era where the generals were at the head of the army leading in, leading the charge. And you have all of these smaller battles that happened around Antioch as the Crusaders tried to lock down kind of the outer perimeter of that part of the world. It was clear to them with time that there's there's they couldn't win with a full assault. The French General Raymond is quoted as saying all of humanity could have come together with all of her machines and those walls would have won." And that was the same general that originally was suggesting that they they try a frontal assault. So the strategy shifts to what are some other ways we can take Antioch. The city was more than just walls, too. There was at least 2,000 elite warriors in the town, 4,000 regular knights, a total of 17,000 foot soldiers, so their whole armed forces is not that much smaller than what the Crusaders had in that area as well. Plus, they have more supplies, plus they have a well-defended area with reinforced walls, so it's kind of looking like Antioch here Has, has a little bit more of the advantage to it. They only had one real gate that they could truly blockade. There was another gate called Dog Gate, which would have knights right out in the back, and they would kind of do a surprise ambush at them, and they could rush back in and close the gate behind them before they could catch up with them. And so they were kind of being harassed every once in a while. When the Antiochs thought they had a chance, they would send out a few riders, harass them, kind of pick off people as they were outside of the city, and then ride back in anyone that try to advance on the gate, because again, for our Crusaders, they're trying to disassemble these gates. How can we get in through these gates? But from a defendable area, that becomes very difficult, because now you have arrows and rocks raining down on them whenever they get close to these gates. And the last primary problem that is a huge factor in this battle is, is the fact that the Crusaders don't have effective supply lines. They don't have much to eat, and they Send teams out to scavenge the land, but you have tens of thousands of soldiers here. Scavenging the land does not last that long before all the food in the area is consumed. And as more food gets consumed, you have to send your scavengers further out to acquire more food, and then your people are growing more and more thin. They're, they're thinning out more and more as they have to spread out more and more to find more resources. And as the governor of Antioch became more familiar with what they were doing, he could more strategize the way that he harassed them, the way he sent out riders to ambush them at times and just make it as uncomfortable, as difficult for the crusaders to function as possible.
1: There was a port about nine miles away that the Crusaders were hoping they could get some reinforcements from. And they did. In fact, when they showed up, the English had already been at the port for a while. And, ah, here you guys are. We've been waiting for you. Uh, they brought them new soldiers. They brought them uh, 13 ships of reinforcements had come through there. They had some supplies. Uh a lot of good stuff but the problem was the way the whole city and everything was lined up that they would have to pass right by the walls of Antioch and of course when they did that boom 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 arrows are going through uh but it still bolstered the confidence of the crusaders as they're heading into November heading into winter here in this foreign land to them without food it was good to see some more people but of course there's another problem uh more reinforcements meant more food that they needed to get uh lastly that last army that kind of came from that had dealt with Baldwin the tan Creed, it kind of had all those issues he shows up in Antioch now Now they really have Antioch pinched in, they have what they need to start to slowly siege them, but again, they're still hungry. The food situation gets pretty bad. Uh, The goal behind a siege, you know, in any case, if you don't know much too much about it, I didn't know a whole lot about it, but the goal is you're going to force the city to starve to death, cutting out the supplies, eventually making them capitulate to you, right? But in this siege, for me, it really was uncertain who was going to starve first, the people of Antioch or the Crusaders. Uh, it really looked, I mean, especially in the beginning, it almost looks like Antioch is actually sieging the Crusaders here. At one point, Bohemond just goes, We got to go. He takes 20,000 men with him and they're going to go north looking for food and try to return with some flocks and stuff, something they can use. This was terrifying, by the way. If you're one of the people that live in this area, a giant army of crusaders from, you know, Europe, you've never even been there, hardly ever thought about it. They come in, they're stealing your food in the middle of winter. That would be a big deal. I'm sure the people really didn't care for that. When the governor sees this huge army leave this is his chance, he thinks. He's going to attack the camp. So he sends out soldiers, and the attack is fierce and fast. But the Crusaders, led by Raymond, they actually are able to kind of push him back. And they actually are able to hold the bridge open. And now they've got their window into Antioch. They have the bridge. They have the door. It looks like they're finally going to break into the city. This was it, its a completely flip-flopped on them. Uh, But as they're charging in, uh, a couple of knights, they kind of get knocked off their horse, and their horses charge back at them. This confuses the Crusaders, and they retreat off the bridge. The bridge kind of snaps shut. Doors are locked behind them, and Antioch's locked back up. And the Crusaders realize, oh, shoot, there there was our moment. We could have been in there if we could have just held ourselves down a little bit better. And now the gates are locked back up. Antioch's not dealing with that anymore. They move back. On the other side of it, though, they realize, hey, we were able to repel the attack. Antioch didn't get a foothold on us. At least that part went well. What's crazy is at the exact same time, 20,000 hungry foragers led by Bohemund were looking for food. And what they didn't know was, and were completely unprepared for, was they were walking right into the mouth of one of those reinforcement armies that governor of Antioch had asked for. 20,000 men were coming in from Damascus. And these scouts kind of saw each other, and within a day, these two armies were colliding and fighting each other. The twenty thousand men from Damascus were jumping on these hungry foragers, but these men fought back ferociously. The the men from Damascus were injured. They kind of they retreat off. Didn't really they, again. They weren't really planning to run into them at this point. And the foragers retreat back too. Uh, they're not able to forage any longer. It's no longer safe. They pretty the entire flock they had been gathering up until this point is just lost. And then when they returned. Raymond, you know, where's the food? Well, we got attacked. We didn't get the food. Okay, shoot, you know, we'll go back out. Let's go get that food. And that's when snow and rain occurs and buries them in for weeks. Now, the good news is that this terrible weather ends up pushing that 20,000 men Damascus army kind of back out. They, they're not going to be able to make it to Antioch. They're not going to be able to do the attack on the encampment like they had hoped. So they retreat as well. But of course, if you were going out looking for food, you're so hungry, you'd gotten a flock together, and now this rain and snow is keeping you down, you have even less food than when you started. If you're still reading the signs of heaven, um, there's an earthquake that happens around this time. Uh, Not uncommon, but if you're looking for help from God, you're starving, an earthquake happens, what does this mean, right? They thought, maybe we've sinned. You know, the other battles went so easy. It looks like we're losing God's favor in this. What do we do? The monks say, because our monks traveling with them, the monks suggest uh, we need to commit to a three day fast. We need to repent and appease God, um, and we're going to kick all the women out of the camp so we don't sully them, sully ourselves with them anymore, and too much impurity here. We don't know what happens to those women, but they're kicked out of the camp. Um, and of course, when you ask starving men to do a three day fast, that can only be good for everybody, right? So at least one in seven men will die of starvation during, in the entire crusades, just during this time period at Antioch. So your giant army loses, is that ten to 15,000 people? I mean, easily, that's yeah. a lot of people that die in Antioch, not even of fighting, just of starvation. Some Christians will come to their aid with food, but they tend to charge them a lot of money. Those they could pay, uh, those that couldn't pay, they were on their own. Uh, By the end of the siege of Antioch, by the end of this whole thing, I mean, starvation will be one of the biggest killers. And that was, that was, by the way, just among, we only know these stats from the upper classes. We really don't know what happened to the poorer people. How many more of them probably didn't make it. Uh, By January, This famine is just completely crushing morale. Uh, There's a word that Peter the Hermit takes a small group and they try to get out of town. Um, But uh, the the Crusaders go and capture them and drag them back in. No, you don't, sir. Um, And Peter the Hermit is completely pardoned, of course. No, no, we don't think you meant anything by it, Peter the Hermit, but the rest of them get in trouble. One of the Byzantine generals, come February says look guys i think we just need to we need to hightail it out of here try to do an even more long distance blockade maybe get away from antioch this just isn't working out um he was ignored so he decided he was going to go send for the emperor himself and maybe uh and maybe he even claimed that the crusaders were trying to kill him no one knows for sure but it's a plot that alexius if you remember all those people that had tried to kill him he would be familiar with that kind of thing right uh, so when the Crusaders found out what this Byzantine general was kind of plotting, uh, they, they, were, they were done with the Byzantines at this point. They had, the Byzantines had already refortified, retaken their lands. They weren't sending armies. They weren't sending reinforcements. They weren't sending supplies. Now it sounds like the Byzantines are calling them traitors, and they were just like, you guys have committed treason. You have not stuck to your side of the vow. We're, we're, we're not having it with you guys. We're, they literally, they said, we're done with our oaths to the emperors. We're not giving this land back to the Byzantines when we take it. We, we can't deal with you guys anymore, pretty much. And that's that's the last one to some degree that you'll hear from the Byzantine generals too much on this. The end of February, things are bad and it gets worse. Ridwan of Aleppo. Do you remember that guy who said he was not coming, told the governor to shove it, didn't, have a, didn't really care what happened to Antioch. He decided he's gonna make amends, actually. He decides, I'm gonna be the hero here. I'm gonna show up with an army and put these crusades out of business. We're gonna do something different. He completely changes his mind. Maybe he was surprised the Crusaders had held on. Maybe, who knows what was his reasoning, but he's going to come here and take out the Crusaders himself. So right when the Crusaders are at their weakest, another army is showing up, one that no one had planned. Neither Antioch nor the Crusaders had planned to be there. Um, He shows up. He starts taking a little bit of land back from the Crusaders, and now the Crusaders have another problem. Bohemond, that general from before, he goes, here's the thing. My army and I are leaving Antioch unless you give me Antioch and not give it to the Byzantines. And with a new army approaching, Ridwan of Aleppo, this big army, they still haven't taken Antioch. They're in a hard place. And so the crusaders go, okay, Bohemond, you can, you can have Antioch, sure, we'll, we'll give it to you, but you gotta stay with us and help us fight this out. And Bohemond goes, no, I have a plan, actually. Here's what we're gonna do. The cavalry, our 700 knights that are still around, they're gonna charge over and take care of Ridwan. The rest of us soldiers, we're gonna keep the Antioch siege going, and that way we don't lose the ground we've made. And so, and Bohemond is going to go with those 700 riders to deal with the situation.
2: So these 700 riders rode fast and hard, as fast as they could, to meet Ridwan's army and to occupy them. It wasn't so much to defeat them necessarily then and there in battle, but to delay them, to inconvenience them enough to allow the siege to continue on Antioch. And they were actually a lot more successful than they set out to be. Not only did they manage to keep Ridwan off balance... But they actually managed to retake some of the territory that ridwan was advancing on and keep them at bay to hold them back so despite being attacked from antioch and ridwan the crusaders are able to push off ridwan's army and actually defeat them before they actually got to the city of antioch and this was just in time for spring to come around for march to come around we have another fleet of reinforcements that show up from the byzantine empire so now our troops have a little bit more fresh soldiers that aren't weary and tired and sick. And with spring comes new growth. So food starts growing again. Things are getting a little bit better. Now we're getting food in our stomachs. Now we got some fresh soldiers. And with these new supplies, they finally have enough to implement a full siege of Antioch. Before this, people could still kind of slip through the cracks of the people that were sieging around Antioch. But now Antioch was completely sealed off from all supplies and all communications. Now the people of Antioch were truly, completely trapped inside. It's also around this time that an Egyptian ambassador shows up to their encampment there, to the Crusaders' encampment, to talk with them about what they were doing there. And, you know, they actually didn't seem to mind. They were actually kind of patting the Crusaders on the back saying, hey, love what you're doing here, great work. Feel free to take Antioch, that's awesome, but don't attack Jerusalem. We need you guys to stay away from Jerusalem. And so they had these series of nego- negotiations with an Egyptian ambassador at that time and peter the hermit of course yeah if you he's the one that heads up these negotiations he's a likable guy he's easy to talk with he's easy to understand and from all accounts they have good conversations productive conversations peter the hermit never agreed to the demands of of them not being able to attack jerusalem because again that was kind of what they set off to do but the egyptians made it clear that if they do march on jerusalem the egyptians would send an army to meet them and they would send an army to push back and retake
1: that land so it, it really reminds me of like when two sports teams are like we're gonna go at it on this day and like a little friendly like banter it's gonna be great can't we'll see you on the battlefield yeah in a couple months and it's oh it's almost like the crusaders are not understanding the discussion i it's very strange to me they're like haha, we'll see you soon okay no we'll see you first am i right, right. And we're gonna go kill each other in <laughs> jerusalem soon that is an interesting way to look at that <laughs>
2: (laughs) So the siege is going well, finally. It's been about six months since they arrived at Antioch, and they're just now starting to establish what they were trying to establish from the beginning. But remember when Antioch first went in to their siege mode, they sent out a request for reinforcements, and we had seen some of that in the form of Ridwan's armies, who kind of got their butt kicked, and a little bit more with the Damascan army, but now we see the full might of the Persian army marching to meet Antioch, to defend Antioch. And this isn't a small army. We're talking 40,000 strong with fresh soldiers who are ready for battle, who haven't been starving to death in the desert, who haven't been starving to death in the winter. They're ready to fight. They're ready to defend Antioch. And they're coming soon. They're days out. And so our crusaders are left with limited time. They have zero chance of winning against such a large army outside of Antioch. So their only chance for survival is to take the city of Antioch and defend it from inside. Remember, now, as we discussed, Antioch was impenetrable. There was no way for them to effectively be able to get their siege towers up to the walls successfully. And so their only hope was to somehow get a spy, get a traitor from the inside to open the gates for them and to let them in. Bohemond, the norman general the guy who once claimed to antioch says he's developed a contact with it with a guy on the inside who can help them get in and he will coordinate with him if once again he gets antioch after it's taken he gets to rule antioch as his own city once it's taken the the rest of the crusaders reluctantly agree to this and at this last ditch effort bohemian coordinates with this guy to pull troops away from one of these guard towers allow some of Bohemond and his troops to scale the wall, get inside, open up the gates, and astonishingly, it works. They're able to open the gates.
1: They're able to rush inside. So people don't like Bohemond's arrangement, uh, but what choice do you have? You're kind of being held hostage, but he, he, look, you give me the city or not, and uh, if you don't, this giant army is on its way. It's going to slaughter all of us. Good luck getting to Jerusalem then. A few famous leaders just say, we're done in protest. We are not going to do it. One of the most important men was a man named Stephen of Bloy. And he, we will see him later on in the story. But these guys just march away. They said, we're done with this. The siege has gone terribly. We're done with the whole thing. And we are not going to just be basically held hostage by Beaumont. But Bohemond goes for it, he ends up scaling the wall himself, he gets to the wall, and lo and behold, the guard Tower is just as it was needed. They open it up, the sneak attack works, the small group is able to get everything open, and once you've got one hole in a wall, it's pretty much cake work from there. All of this they did, trusting just one guy on the inside. Um, But the Crusaders get in, and thousands are killed, including thousands of the Christians who had been held under persecution the entire time, waiting to see what would happen. They end up getting killed by the Christian army that had approached and it ends up not going super well. Um, in fact, the inside man's brother is among those who gets killed by the army as yeah. they come in. Wow! Uh, the governor tries to make a run for it, but they bring his head back to the Crus- crusaders, and uh, you know, in there, almost all of the city had been taken except the castle on the inside. And from the beginning, they knew Antioch is a two siege city. There's the giant walls that get you into the city. And then there's the castle in the back that also has walls that has to be sieged to be fully taken. And so all of the, you know, enemies retreat into the castle, and now we're starting up the second siege on that castle. And we turn out and look outside and the super army that we've been talking about, this Persian forty thousand strong, a bigger army than the Crusaders, I mean, really even arrived at Antioch with, is now here fresh and ready to go. And they had to they had to figure out how to do two sieges at once.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's really crazy. Because just two days before, they were on the outside of that wall. Yeah. Now they're on the inside of the city, kind of in the same position the Antiochs were just in, where they're taking the city, and now this Persian army is coming around them to siege them. Now they're taking the city, but they're also conducting a mini siege yes. on the castle within the city
1: walls and as it's well confusing a little bit but it's also it's crazy how much these guys are going through and your prize you you oh you siege you got in there and literally they take the city june 2nd with bohemans planned and june 4th the super army's here as you can see them they're now in the area they have arrived it's so close like if they hadn't done what boheman planned they would have never survived on the other side of it though is here's your city the city that you've been sieging that's out of food it's out of water. It has nothing because you've been holding it down. That was your prize. So you're still just as hungry and thirsty as you as trapped, were yeah. two days ago. And it's, oh, it's just such a crazy, the topsy-turviness of it. So we said June 2nd, they take the city. June 3rd, there's a big group that just leaves. They're done. They're like, yeah, I see that army coming. We can't win with this city because this city has nothing because we sieged it for too long. And June 4th, the giant army of Persians arrives. Now those deserters actually kind of leave. They go off. They get away from the army, and they end up meeting up with Stephen Abloy. Stephen Abloy sees them. They say, hey, what's going on? They say, that army is there. The Antioch crusaders, are, they're done for. They're toast. There's no way they're going to survive. So we high-tailed it out of there. Stephen Abloy kind of just nods and says, yeah, I knew it was going to happen that way. I knew they couldn't trust Bohemond. This is just, this is a disaster. So they head out of the area. And as they head out of the area, um, they're going to go back to Constantinople and they run into Alexius. Emperor Alexius is here and he has a massive army. He's ready to go. He's going to help the crusaders deal with Antioch. He's, the moment that these crusaders have been waiting for has finally arrived. The Byzantines are here, and they're tough. They're mercenaries. They're they're well. And and Stephen of Blois looks at them and goes, "Don't waste your time. Antioch's already toast. There's no point. It's over. The Crusaders lost." And they leave. So Alexius with this giant army that the Byzantine Empire finally showed up, ready to go. And Stephen of they head back to Constantinople, and. The Crusaders are truly on their own. And it it literally, to me, I read that part of the story. and I was like, this is like a movie. Like, could you imagine something working out like that more crazy? I, I couldn't figure it out. And I wonder what the Crusaders thought, like, when they eventually found out that happened. I'm sure they were not happy about it. I'll tell you that. And now we need to talk about something else that's happening. We, t- we mentioned them here and there that there are monks going on. They've been predicting the end of the war, the world, all this stuff throughout this time. Well, as these guys are being sieged inside of Antioch, these monks really go to town. They found something called the Holy Lance. Uh, this lance is really, truly given to them by God. And these monks are saying, man, if you just do this and do that, you know, they're constantly seeing these visions of battles and victory Um and, and some scholars have pointed out that these guys are starving literally to death. It's going to make you see a little few more a little, a little few more hallucinations than your average uh, dealio. On June 14th, though, if you're looking for signs from heaven, you know, we talked about that earthquake, we've talked about those auroras and the lunar eclipse, but what do you do when you're looking for signs from heaven, your monks are telling you you're seeing some good signs, and suddenly a meteor falls from the sky and lands in the middle of the enemy encampment, right? I mean, that... How often does that happen in life? And you're, you're looking for a sign. That's a sign from heaven. The monks are saying, see, we told you our visions are true. It's the sign. If we charge out there, ride out there and fight them, we will win. Heaven is showing you it's going to happen. And uh, and at the same time, in the Persian army, they're starting to have a little bit of problems themselves. Like This army, we didn't really talk about it a whole lot, but they had gone over to, to deal with the county of Edessa, and they had lost, <laughs> which I don't know how Baldwin pulled that off. We'll never fully, we're not going to get into that. But this super army of Persians ha- also has with them Ridwan of Aleppo and the army from Damascus, and they're all together with the same goal of dealing with the Crusaders. But they don't really think the Crusaders have a chance. In fact, they're kind of doing the same thing the Crusaders are. Who's going to get Antioch when this is over? Who's going to get the credit? What are we going to do? And these three groups came together to fight the Crusaders, but they're not exactly friends of one another, and there's starting to become tension in between them. At the same time, on June 27th, Our friend Peter the Hermit comes out. He tries to negotiate with the Persian army. Negotiation doesn't go well. Uh, Peter the Hermit has another moment of failure. But no worries, we're going to pardon him. It's all fine. It looks like on June 28th, there's going to be a battle. We hope you enjoyed this preview. This tells you just the Siege of Antioch. There are multiple cities that get taken down. There's a whole lead up. There's a whole... There's so much stuff that happens in the story, you can't even begin to describe it all. The characters of the story, from Emperor Alexis to Peter the Hermit to all these guys, absolutely mind-boggling story. I've never read history that felt like it was narrative quite like this story before. We think you're going to love this episode. We really enjoyed doing the research. It ended up being way more fun for us than we thought it could have been, and uh, we really hope that you will go check out the rest of this episode on our Patreon. Go to Patreon Revive Thoughts, um, and you can listen to the full deep dive from a Christian perspective. What do we think of the first crusade, and what do we think about what happened? We want to we wanted to analyze that and kind of delve into that for everyone. And so we hope you enjoy that. Go and, go and find it on Patreon. And not only will you get access to this episode, you'll get access to the full Salem Witch Trials episode. If you haven't listened to that, you'll get access to all of our revived Thought episodes with no advertisements. Free. You'll, get, you'll get a personalized signed bookmark from Joel and I. Um, and there's just always more stuff coming out of our studio all the time these days. And so you'll be getting access to that when it comes to...
0: This episode is brought to you by the Worth Your Time podcast, where you'll hear from Christian female entrepreneurs, politicians, ministry leaders, authors, athletes, CEOs, and more. I'm Erica Anderson, mom of two, writer, and host and creator of Worth Your Time. I created this podcast because I wanted to hear from more women like me who were interested in the intersection of faith, politics, and culture. How do we navigate the choppy waters of partisan politics? How do we engage with culture honorably as Christian professionals? I know you don't have a lot of time, And that's why I make every second worth it on this show. You'll hear from women that aren't on every other Christian podcast. And we get really real because I don't know how to function any other way. Episodes drop every other Tuesday. Hope to see you there.